Chapter 5 Dancing Gorillas For a moment, Frank and Joe stared at the empty boathouse unbelievably. I'll bet the bank robbers stole the sleuth, Joe exploded. If they did, Frank said with a grim smile, they'll be in for a surprise. That rudder is only temporarily repaired. It won't last long. Let's go after them, Joe urged. We'll call Tony and bring them to Polly. Okay, Frank said. He'll be at Callie's now. The Hardys hurried to their motorcycles and headed back toward town. When they reached the piers, they stopped at the public telephone booth outside the warehouse. Joe dialed the call and returned after a short conversation. Tony will meet us at the Coast Guard station, he reported to Frank. Come on. When the Hardys walked in, they found that Chief Colling had turned the place into a temporary headquarters. He was questioning three bank tellers who had been brought there at the chief's request. One teller was giving his account. The four men must have been hidden in another part of the bank. Just after we closed tonight, the robbers rushed into the main room together. Three came to our cages and forced us at gunpoint to put our money into their sacks while the fourth went into the side door. Then they warned us to keep still and backed out the door. Our Volt custodian fired after their car, but he had no luck. Mm. Can you describe one of the gang? Colling asked wearily. Anyone that sticks out in your mind? Was he short or tall, fat, thin? I already told you, the man said doggedly. They were all the same size. But blast it, man, that's impossible, the chief exploded. I don't have four identical built men on my whole force. They were all the same size, the teller repeated, growing swollen. They wore masks. Shaking his head, Chief Colling turned from the teller. His eyes fell on Frank and Joe. Back so soon? he asked, surprised. Frank told him that the sleuth was stolen. The bank robbers used a speedboat for their getaway, Joe added. It might have been ours. Has the cutter had any luck on the bay? Frank asked. Nothing yet, a radio operator spoke up. They've been calling in every ten minutes. While Joe reported the theft on their boat to the Coast Guard, Frank asked whether any clues had been found on the thieves' car. Not even a fingerprint, Chief Collins answered. We checked all the vehicles, of course. It had been stolen in Northport. Just then, Tony entered the crowd station, exclaiming, It looks like the police convention outside with all those proud cars. Hey, Tony, Joe greeted him. Thanks for getting here so fast, Frank said. The three boys left the station at once, ran across the pier, and scrambled down the ladder into Nepali. Tony started his motor, switched on the running lights, and throttled cautiously into the bay. The surface of the water was smooth and the air was warm. The fog, however, was thicker than ever. Tony tried his spotlight, but even this did not penetrate the murk for any great distance. Suppose we zigzag along the shore about half a mile out, Joe suggested. The Coast Guard will cover the middle of the bay. The Nepali moved steadily through the night. The boys could see nothing. We need our ears for this job, Frank said finally. Shut her off for a minute. The steady purr of the motor ceased, and the craft drifted noisily. Far to seaward, outside the harbor's mouth, a deep voice foghorn rasped its warning at a regular interval. Nothing, Joe murmured. Start her again, Tony. Wait, Frank ordered. 
There, another boat. Uh, I don't hear it, Tony whispered. It's a very high-pitched, just a tingle. Turn her out into the bay, Tony. Run full throttle until I say stop. The Napoli shot forward, roaring through the fog. Stop! Frank cried out. Again came the sudden, hushed silence. Only the wake of the Napoli washed audibly behind them. But now all three boys heard the sound of the boat engine. You were right, Joe said. I think it is the sleuth. Listen. The high-pitched whine drew slowly closer, then gradually receded. Soon it approached again. She's going in circles, Joe said gleefully. Head toward her, Tony. Sure, but which way? To the right, Joe said promptly. Straight ahead, Frank countered. Tony started his engine and headed midway between the two directions. He drove steadily forward until Joe signaled to cut it again. The other craft was very near them, and over the motor's purr, they could hear angry voices. It won't work, one cried out. Try it yourself, another shouted. Move over, then. Frank and Joe and Tony listened, grinning while the men argued about the disabled boat. Suddenly, the sleuth's motor silenced. They're drifting away, Frank said quietly. Although Tony followed in the direction he thought the boat was taking, the voices grew faint. Desperately, Tony opened his throttle wide, then shut off the motor again to listen. The voices ceased. The men must have heard us, Joe said. They probably know they're being chased. For a time, the eerie pursuit continued, but at last Frank said, It's no use. They could have drifted a mile away by now. Or they could be five feet from us, Joe said. We'll never find them in the fog. Besides, uh, we're low on gas, Tony added, and turned the Nepali toward the bayport. Joe and I will come back to the party later, Frank told Tony. I think Dad would like to hear our account of the bank robbery. After dropping Frank and Joe off at the Coast Guard Pier, Tony returned his boat to the mooring and went back to Callie's house. Meanwhile, the brothers, dejected, cycled home. Opening the front door, they found their father in the hall, taking his hat from the rack. Mr. Hardy stopped short. Tell me what you know about the bank holdup, he said crisply. His son stared in surprise. Then Frank grinned. I guess Chief Colling told you about us? Yes, replied Mr. Hardy. He just phoned to ask for my help. I'm on my way downtown. Brief me quickly. The detective listened with keen interest while his sons poured out the story of the robbery and the missing sleuth. One thing is odd, Frank added. The tellers swear the thieves were all the same size and build. Fenton Hardy smiled. That's not so strange. You mean the men were identical in size? Frank asked. Not at all, their father answered. But a large mask will make a person's body seem smaller. A tiny face mask can make them look bigger. Oh, so the robbers used masks to disguise their builds as well as their faces, said Frank. Exactly, his father answered. It sounds like this is a very clever gang. At the moment, Aunt Gertrude came into the living room. Fenton, she said, her voice sharp with disapproval. There was a special in the news bulletin on the radio just now saying that you've taken on the Bayport Bank robbery case. So I have, Mr. Hardy replied mildly, though the boys knew he was an expert at this. 
at least to help the local authorities, he added. But why do they announce it? His sister asked. The bank robbers may hear it, and who knows what those dangerous men might do to make you drop the case. Don't worry, Gertrude, Mr. Hardy replied kindly. I'll be careful. Thanks for this information, boys, he added, and hurried off. Aunt Gertrude eyed Frank and Joe suspiciously. What are you two going to do now? she demanded. Nothing dangerous, Auntie, Joe assured her. We're just going to Callie's party. Satisfied, Miss Hardy watched the boys depart. Aunt Gertrude's right, you know, Frank remarked as they walked their motorcycles down the drive. It's too bad about the radio bulletin. Dad is safer if he works undercover. A short ride brought Frank and Joe to the Shaw house. They parked their motorcycles beside the garage and quickly put on their costumes. Carrying the two containers of ice cream, the gorilla and the magician walked in the door, where they were admitted by smiles by Mrs. Shaw. Hello, boys, come in. I'll put the ice cream away. When the Hardy boys entered the big living room, they were hailed by a camel with four human legs, spacemen, and many other fantastic figures. Pretty, brown-haired Callie was dressed as a fairy princess and slim, vivacious Iola as a page boy. The two girls hurried forward to greet the late arrivals. Tony told us about the robbers and the chase, Callie said. We're totally glad that you got here, Iola added warmly. A fierce pirate walked up to them. I'm a Blackbeard Biff, he announced. How'd you like to walk the plank? Before Frank could answer, there was a ferocious roar behind him and a hand clapped down on his shoulder. He whirled to find himself face to face with another gorilla. Told you I'd surprise you, came Chet Morton's voice. Come on, let's dance. The two hairy creatures joined hands and waltzed around the room to the music and the record player. They leaped in the air and did some somersaults. The other guests watched and shrieked with laughter. Panting, Chet yanked off his tight-fitting gorilla face. Oops, he exclaimed. I tore it. Frank examined the rubber mask. Too bad, he said with a grin. You'll just have to wear your own face from now on. Later, as the guests ate, they listened, fascinated to the Hardys' account of their adventure. Finally, about midnight, everyone began to leave. As Frank and Joe were saying goodnight to the girls, Chet came over to them. Biff, Tony, Jerry, and I decided we're going to go camping tomorrow. We're using Mr. Hoper's boat. Sorry you fellas can't come. Well, we'll make it next time, Joe promised. You can go home and drop Biff off at his house. I'm staying overnight here. Okay, sis. Frank and Joe departed, and soon after returning home, they were sound asleep. Two hours later, the ringing of the telephone jarred them awake. Frank awoke and picked up the extension phone. Hello? Frank? The speaker was Miss Morton. Is Chet there? He hasn't come home yet. Um, no, he isn't here, Frank answered. He's probably at Biff's. Oh, I'll try the Hoopers, Miss Morton said. Sorry to have wakened you. As Frank replaced the phone, he glanced at his wristwatch. It was two o'clock.
funny Chet didn't phone his folks, he thought. A second later, the phone then rang. He picked it up again. Frank Hardy speaking. This is Miss Hooper, said with a worried voice. Is Biff with you? Frank sat straight up in bed. I'm sorry he isn't here, he replied. I'll call some of our friends and see what I can find out. Biff's mother gratefully accepted the offer. Oh, thank you. I'm so worried about him. As Frank put down the phone, Joe mumbled sleepily. What's the matter? Matter? It looks as if plenty's the matter. Wake up! Chet and Biff are missing. 